0: And welcome back to the Video Essay Podcast. I'm your host, Will DeGravio, and on today's show, I sit down with Tracy Cox Stanton, a professor at the Savannah College of Art and Design, and Allison Dufresne, a professor at Occidental College. Allison and Tracy are co-editors of a new special issue of the online journal, The Cinephiles, dedicated to the scholarly video essay. If you are at all familiar with the video essay world, and the, in particular the academic audiovisual essay, you will probably already have read this issue of the Cinephiles, or at least read one or two of the articles, or seen them linked somewhere on social media. Um, it's a it, it's an issue that came out just at the beginning of this year, but has already been incredibly influential in the field. Tracy Allison and I talk about the origins of the issue, what it was like co-curating a collection that features some of the best audiovisual critics and scholars working today, and what they hope the impact of the issue will be on our understanding of the scholarly audiovisual essay going forward. This episode also features a conversation between myself and Shant Bairamian, who is an audiovisual essayist based in the Netherlands and runs the YouTube channel The Audiovisual Essayist. Back in March, Shant published a three-part conversation uh, between uh, the two of us in which we discuss essentially this question, what do new practitioners think uh, about the form of the audiovisual essay? Shant and I discuss how we were first introduced to the audiovisual essay, um, why we kept producing videographic criticism after we left school and how, as budding scholars, um, we hope to incorporate audiovisual criticism as part of our work. Um, I would highly encourage you to subscribe to Shant's YouTube page, The Audiovisual Essayist, uh, which I will link to at thevideoessay.com, and to check out our conversation. This podcast features just part one, again, of that three-part conversation, so my hope is that you will uh, listen to the first part here and then go to Shant's YouTube page uh, for the first two, um, or you can just just get a little taste here on the podcast and then go watch all three parts on uh, Shant's YouTube page because you can see the two of us in dialogue uh, and Shant's nifty editing uh, that really makes the conversation flow and uh, turn into something special. So I'm incredibly grateful to him um, for inviting me on his platform. It was also, you know, he kind of took the role more as uh, the interviewer, um, which was a a good twist uh, for me. So if you've been listening to this podcast and you kind of want to learn more about me uh, and my background and what I think um, Sean generously asked me um, a ton of wonderful questions. So I'm incredibly grateful to him. And now without further ado, here's my conversation with Tracy and Allison. And now I am very pleased to be joined by Tracy Cox Stanton and Alison DeFren, uh, who, Alison is a professor at Occidental College, and Tracy is a professor um, at the Savannah College of Art and Design, and they are the co-editors of a very special issue of The Cinephiles on the scholarly video essay that I would assume most people who are listening to this right now have already read in, in one form or another or watched. So welcome, both of you, to the Video Essay Podcast. Great to to have you here.
1: Great to be here. Thank you. Thank
2: you.
0: So, before we get into the 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 issue and the list of questions that I've prepared for you, Tracy, I was wondering if you could provide just a brief because you are also the the editor of the Cinephiles in the The larger sense, um, could you provide an overview of the the types of work you typically publish, and just like a, a brief history of the journal itself?
2: Yes, yeah, sure. So it it started um, as an in house thing. So the very first issue of the Cinephiles was um, 2010, and it was. Uh, just three essays that graduate students had written. And I think we kind of had a theme. I think it was like about travel or something. Um, so, so the sort of title and the idea of, oh, there's this little publication kind of came from that. Um, the title, The Cinephiles, um, is, is tied to that kind of departmental publication idea because our prefix is in cinema studies is cine so all of our classes are you know cine 703 or whatever so we thought it was a cute little pun the cine files you know like the x files but the cine files so um it started you know um in that sort of small way and then pretty quickly it occurred to me that um the rest of the world should be involved. <laughs> no. So the the there was a couple of years really between that first issue and the, the genesis of the, the real cinephiles, which was 2012. And that's when um, I decided to kind of open up this, the um, writing to people that I knew in academia or critics that I knew sort of outside of just the department, um, but it also included a lot of student writing. So originally it did have a lot more student writing. You can see it's definitely um, changed throughout the years and it was originally twice a year um, and the last couple of years it's been once a year. I think it's going to be a one year thing now um, but the the content is usually um, special topics, you know, so it, it, uh, there have been issues on um, aff- cinematic affect, for example, or sound in cinema or the French New Wave, you know, was the first one but um, that has been the the sort of general pattern there were a few that were kind of open issues but usually it's it's focusing on a special topic
0: and I thank you. And I, and I should have mentioned that we could talk to both of you in kind of the normal format of the show, where we talked about your work and videographic background. But similar to the episode we did with Jason Mattel and Chris Keithley, we're kind of just focusing on this episode on this issue of the Cinephile. So you will both have to come back for like the more rigid conversation. So I, sh- I should just tell everyone to go look at Tracy Nelson's other work as well as scholars and filmmakers and video essays and everything. But what you just said makes sense, and why you this issue is themed around this question of what is a scholarly video essay so I guess also my question to you would be Take us inside the origins of this issue. Like, when did you, the two of you, decide to to do this? Um, and Tracy, feel free to chime in as well to answer a question to both of you, really.
1: You know, I think there are five answers to this question, <laughs> and maybe, maybe I'll give you five, and you can pick the one you want and put it in the podcast. <laughs> actually, I actually don't know. I know I was speaking to Tracy at, at some point, and she said, "Let's do this." Do you remember when that was, Tracy?
2: It seems like it was so long ago because this issue took a long time. You know, the, I'm sure this will come up a few times, but the the world fell apart a few times during the creation of, of the cinephiles. So it feels like it was a year and a half before, I don't know. It was, yeah. it was a while ago. And um, we, and it, I think the the idea was a video essay, you know, that it was going to be about the video essay, but, but something specific within it. And remember I sent you that, that list of questions from the class I was teaching about video essays, or, or it was actually more about digital film studies, so it was even broader than that. And I was I said, does any anything here excite you? And indeed it did. <laughs> <laughs> so you sort of, you took it from there, really. Yeah, um,
1: so, so the issue was a long time in coming. I would say for me, the question had probably been incubating from the time that I began making video essays, which started in 2015 at the Middlebury Workshop in Videographic Criticism, which is where I met Tracy. We were in the same, the first cohort in the workshop. I, I actually came back a number of years later and I told the story, so I'll tell the story. But when, um, when I attended the workshop, I think I was one of the few participants who had been a practitioner first and then became became a theorist. So I I was a digital media designer for many years and made videos and had made a documentary and then got a PhD and (laughs) went to quote unquote theory school. And so I had this idea of, I I had this sense that I was going to go to the workshop and I was going to have to defend the integration of theory and practice to a room of diehard scholars. and instead, I was really surprised. I found myself to be one of the more curmudgeonly people in the room about what what constituted videographic scholarship. Um, and I, I I've thought a lot about it since. You know why why do I feel um, why why is this important to me? Why does this seem um, less important or, or not as pressing to people who I would have assumed would have been holding the line in terms of what scholarship is. And so one of the thoughts that I've had is that there's something that happens. I mean, I write about it in my essay in The Cinephiles. I think that there's something that happens when you begin to work with digital tools for the first time. I think it's transformative and enlightening. And one gets enamored of the newfound possibilities for expression. And, and in some ways, I was very jaded already. Like I think, coming from a grounding in video production, I was I was just m- much less enamored of, of audiovisual expression. And and I I've long been thinking about you know how do you integrate audiovisual and scholarly methods? And I was wanting to get to the next step in the conversation, but that's not yet where videographic criticism where the conversation was, the conversation tended to focus on advocating for its legitimacy, um, trying to use it to encourage a more expansive notion of what scholarship could be. All of that's incredibly important. I understand why that is. Um, And especially in pushing the traditional bounds of scholarly work, because we know it's tied up in all kinds of cultural politics. So... um, So, but, and in fact, when I went back to the Middlebury workshop, I I encountered other scholars who were attending at the time who I could see were struggling with similar questions. They were interested in doing more. Um, let's say, explanatory or expository work or or doing work that had a particular point of view or an argument. And that tends to be read as somewhat oppositional to what you can do with a video essay. But I, I think coming from a background in production, I actually believe, no, these two things inform each other. and And I would love to have more nuanced conversation about how they can inform each other.
0: It's very interesting for me to hear you because I think my first thought in thinking of someone like yourself, who you have an MFA, I think, right? And and a PhD. And my first thought would be that you would not have gone into that experience expecting it to be rigid, because like that would have been my first thought, like, oh, here's someone who has both backgrounds and can really does see that and then finds that it's not the case that you were, were not with a group of people who were so rigid. What do you think that is? Is that like, where does that where does that rigidness come from?
1: yeah i should have i think i should have known that that it was a self-selecting group and indeed it was a self-selecting group but it, it definitely came from my own experiences i mean i when i was getting my phd i was attempting to do a theory practice theory practice doctoral project and it 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 never came to pass, um, and part of it was hitting up against the boundaries of what was considered scholarship. And so I've, I've encountered it in terms of my own work and career, and so that's what I was expecting. And in fact, no, I, I think that this is a self-selecting group, and I think it's part of why it's important to talk about what constitutes videographic scholarship. So I'll give you another story, which is that um, A colleague of mine where I teach at some point came up to me and said that she was at a conference and there was a keynote address about videographic scholarship. um, And that she and the person she was sitting next to, they both ended up leaving and talking outside and saying to each other, this is incredibly insubstantial. Why do they think this is scholarship? And I realized, you know... If, if we want legitimacy for videographic criticism, it has to be legible to people who are not part of that self-selected group who are doing it.
0: To that point, the issue, I mean, you say as much in your introduction, but the issue feels very much in a way directed towards either th- that person, I'm not saying that person in particular, but the kind of person who might feel that way. And then also towards someone who might be needing to talk to that kind of person in their academic department and to like advocate for themselves, right? Like there are pieces that are explicit in that way, like Drew Morton and Kevin Ferguson's, right? That's pretty much what it's all about. Um, But then other pieces that, you know, dip more into theory, but that are certainly addressing a lot of these questions and concerns that someone might raise about this kind of work. Tracy, question for you, you know, The Cinephiles has published... Video essays before, and so how does this mark a, a departure? Because by publishing and writing about videographic criticism in *The Cinephiles*, as you had before, like you were already adding legitimacy—if that's the right word—to this form in an academic context. So how does how is this different? I guess it's more meta in a way, right?
2: <laughs> well, it's it's exactly what what Allison said. The um the question of legitimacy is one that we had explored many times, you know, just with one another or with the community at large, or certainly in the cinephiles. But but the term scholarly had not been queried, you know. So so that was the issue. So when I I remember when I sent the the questions. You know, from my class to Allison, that was the question she picked up on. One of the questions was, you know, what constitutes a scholarly video essay? Because, um, you know, we're teaching in universities and um, publishing scholarship, you know, within universities, and, and we use that term, the scholarly video essay, you know, lots of people use that term, but we didn't think that um, that it's really been parsed very rigorously, and I, I hesitate to say defined because I still don't think it's defined. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that, um, and, I, and I don't know that it should be defined, you know, but it should certainly be parsed, I <laughs> think, so that that to me was, was what um, sort of took this um, issue into a different place than previous issues had where the the other issues were about you know exploring how videographic criticism was a legitimate form you know within academia but that's different than saying a scholarly work you know that's a that's a different right. um yeah different category
0: for for someone who might be listening to this who is not an an academic but is still interested in that way what what would be an example of like, I guess this is, this is getting to the question of what is a scholarly video essay, but I suppose, could you provide in a way that's not, um, I don't, I don't mean to like be derogatory. Cause I don't think that because something is not scholarly, that makes it bad, right? Like it's just different. So what is, what would be like, uh, you know, knowing that we can't fully answer this question, what's an example of something that's not scholarly?
2: Well, that, I mean, that, that is the question, I guess. Right. And, and, you know, one of the, um, the, the, um, Sort of themes that reverberated through the through the whole issue. I think, as, as many people pointed to, um, in transition, the publication in, tra- right. in transition, because it's you know it's the one it's the one that that claims that these are scholarly, right? It's the one that right. that's kind of part of part of the deal, um, and you know I thought it, it's interesting that um, Christian Keithley, you know, in his essay that accompanies the videos um, in the Once Upon a um, Screen section you know, as he says there, that sometimes even the editors of In Transition don't agree on what, what constitutes scholarly. So I think, or, for, or what constitutes a scholarly video essay. You know, so I think that there's also then the question before that is what constitutes the scholarly? What is scholarly, right? And and even that's difficult. Even that's not, not as clear, but then the scholarly video essay maybe gets more unclear. But, you know, I think every... Um, you know the, the the key themes that come up for the scholarly are argument, but not just argument, <laughs> but arg- argument that that um, engages other scholars' ideas. You know the the real definition of scholarly. The, you know, colloquially, I guess, if, if there's such a thing as colloquially <laughs> with anything related to scholarship, is that, that it cites sources, you know, so, so a publication like the New Yorker, you know, might have an essay about the French New Wave, and you read the essay, and I remember this happened, I remember reading an essay in the New Yorker about the French New Wave and thinking like, oh, well, that was so-and-so's idea, and that was so-and-so's idea, you know, I recognize like the, because coming from a university and studying, you know, um, you recognize where the sources are, but none of them are cited, you know, and that's okay because it's not a scholarly source, right? It's, but, and so, so I think we get away with a lot of that in video essays too. Um, and, And it's difficult, you know, that's one of the things, the themes that comes up in many of the pieces is how it's kind of difficult to cite sources in the video essay. You know, you have to sort of wrestle with that and figure out, I mean, what's, what's most exciting is trying to figure out how to leverage the audiovisual potentials of the video essay in a way that does those things that are scholarly. You know, so nobody wants the video essay to be, you know, someone reading a scholarly paper and showing film clips that illustrate that. Right. You know, so so in no way is that what I think anybody is is advocating for. Um, so right. that's that's where the magic comes in. You know, that's where the fun comes in of everybody trying to figure out how you know, how, how is there a way of, of using these tools that are not new tools, they're only new to us, right? So, so as right. Allison said, you know, the, these um, filmmakers have been using montage for a long, long time, you know, but suddenly now we can, you know, and so how do we then, then sort of harness those things to what we've already been doing in um, our scholarly investigations?
0: Right. You you touched on something. Oh, sorry, Allison. Go ahead. But I just want to say one quick thing and then please. Yeah, please. I just wanted to say that you answered my question and I realized I phrased it poorly. And that's been mentioning the New Yorker is exactly what I was trying to get at. And that I think we would say that something that was published on Fandor or something that was maybe published by another publication like that is not scholarly in the same way that Pauline kale might not be considered scholarly even though we would of course cite her and she's original and brilliant just like a lot of those works so that that's that was what I was getting I was to try and get a sense of for someone listening okay what are we what's not scholarly because I think so much exactly. of this work all blends together online which is what I think we all love about it, but so thank right. you for touching on that. Allison, yeah. please. And, and, on, yeah. Well, I
2: just want to say really quickly before that, 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 that also yeah. what's probably obvious, but is that that we're not saying scholarly things are good and non-scholarly things are bad, right? So there's always that sort of knee-jerk, like, wait, you're saying I'm not scholarly? You know, so uh, yes, I'm saying the New Yorker <laughs> is not scholarly, but, am, you know, am I saying the New Yorker is trash? No, of course not.
0: Of course, yes. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Allison, please. Yeah. So,
2: Yeah. So I think
1: this is, I think this is a big part of it. And, um, in, as part of this issue our sort of primary stipulation was that contributors put stakes in the ground and that they define what they mean by scholarly because we may all have different ideas of what the scholarly is and it's partly why this issue took so long to come out many many contributions had to go back with with requests for greater clarity and you know there are a few people who they you know, just didn't that that wasn't what they were interested in. And that's what we're interested in in the in the issue. And what I have found is that when people talk about scholarly, um what Tracy is saying you know, is true. Like there are, there, there is this very narrow definition of the scholarly, which is, and I say this actually in the essay that I wrote for the issue, you know, I asked my undergraduates, what is, what is a scholarly analysis? You know, what have you learned? And what they'll say is it's a analysis that is making an original contribution to a, to a larger conversation through a contestable um, statement, thesis, argument that's demonstrated through audiovisual, often through audiovisual analysis and, and research. But often when people talk about the scholarly in relation to video essays, because video essays do expand the way that knowledge is produced. I mean, a more vague definition of the scholarly is it makes an original contribution of, you know, it's, it's a form of knowledge production. Um, but people, I think when people, when people, <laughs> talk about video essays and they're talking about scholarship they're often talking about not 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 just knowledge production but what in transition calls knowledge effects so in transition has a very broad definition of what's scholarly and they err on the side of expansiveness and experimentation and so people will talk about a scholarly video essay and when you when you begin to Um, trace down what they're talking about. They're actually talking about the fact that it's critical or that it produces some sort of effective response that is incredibly meaningful. And that's not necessarily the narrow definition of scholarly. And yet there's this sense that one is learning something, one is experiencing, seeing anew and experiencing something. And that's absolutely legitimate. That can lead to a scholarly output. But, but we were trying to get at some of these distinctions because an essay in The New Yorker can be critical as well. A, a work of art can be critical. A film can be critical. That isn't scholarship per se. Um, and yet, as we start to talk about video essays, we often talk about those kinds of things as though they're scholarship
0: you mentioned that you specifically wanted contributors to, I think you, the phrase you used was, plant a stake in the ground and to, to, to take a stance on what is the scholarly video essay. So to return to the, I guess, the editorial process, how were contributors, and Tracy or Allison, feel free to answer this, how were contributors selected? Was there an open call for papers? Did you ask uh, people to submit certain things? How, just how did the issue come together from just a back-end editorial perspective?
2: We solicited them, so we, there wasn't an open call. It was um, people whose work we knew, I guess. And Alison had just been, um, or sort of recently been to, to that workshop in Germany. So I remember that was sort of an influence. Um, do you wanna say anything about that, Alison?
1: Yes. So in June of 2019, I took part in a workshop that was curated and organized by Kathleen Locke, who is in the cinephiles cinephiles issue um, called Videographic Criticism, Aesthetics and Methods of the Video Essay. In fact, what I presented there ended up becoming my contribution to this cinephiles issue. Um, And people were talking about a variety of different topics, but some of my own ideas were incubating um, as part of the workshop. And so um, I met a number of people there. Uh, when I went back to the Middlebury workshop to, uh, to, to mentor a new cohort of, of scholars and scholar practitioners, I met a number of people then. I met Kathleen Locke then. Um, and so some of our contributors came from that workshops. Some came from our own cohort. We specifically searched for people who had already been grappling with questions about videographic scholarship and writing about them. So some of them we didn't know, for example, um, Miklos Kiss, Erland Lovick, and Ian Garwood. I mean, I knew Ian's work, but um, we knew because, oh, and, and Kara Grisafi. And, and because they'd already been writing about these issues, we felt that it was important to invite them to contribute
0: it makes sense that you invited people to contribute because I think for those familiar with the scholarly video essay as it stood before this issue, it's kind of like a, a who's who, like there are names whose, whose names you recognize, people whose work. So when it dropped out, I was like, oh, wow, this is fascinating to go uh, read each person's contribution. And so for the, for the topic specifically, where people who were invited, invited to write about whatever they wanted? Like, was, you mentioned Ian Garwood, was he, did you ask him to write something about the in-transition creator statements or were all those papers, the position papers just entirely their own? You're nodding. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They were, the the position papers were their own. And in fact, there was, there was some sort of um, bleed over, I guess, between the two categories of, of, of um, work between the the answering the question, what is a scholarly video essay and then the position papers. I think that the the thing that we tried to reinforce to everyone was that the key question of the issue is what is the scholarly video essay, you know, and so so some people, you know, and I think we, I think we posed both questions to a number of people and they kind of chose which, um, it's a lot of it happens sort of organically as they say, you know, that, um, some of the people began with one question and developed, um, you know, what we distinguished as a position paper rather than just an answer to the question. Um, so yeah, so any of the ones that, that developed um, unique ideas of the position papers, those were wholly their own, their own but, but um, centering around the idea of the, um, what constitutes scholarship.
1: We had, uh, we had originally imagined a round table in which uh, different contributors would have a conversation with one another that didn't quite work. And I think it had to do with um, the pandemic and, and and just how complicated people's lives got. And so it ended up evolving into um, just an answer to the question. And for people who wanted to write um, a position paper, a, a longer contribution.
0: In, in your introduction, you pose the question, why does media scholarship matter and how does it engage the world outside of academia? We've already touched on this a little bit in talking about what the scholarly is and how it informed the issue. but I, I can imagine someone listening to this conversation and their immediate thought might be that one of the great things about videographic criticism is this way that it transcends academia, right? The the fact that when you're watching a video on Vimeo or YouTube, the chances are you don't know whether it was created by someone with a PhD or someone who's, I mean, you, can, you might be able to tell, but, or someone without, you know, you might be able to tell if there are a bunch of quotes at the beginning or something like that, you know, uh, but for the most part, you probably wouldn't be able to tell. I'm wondering if in the course of editing this issue, did you f- experience? Any pushback on wanting to to leave out the non-scholarly video essay, or is that something that you thought about at all as you as as you were doing this, right? Or is it was it just entirely an exercise and just focused on this one aspect?
2: It was it was definitely focused on on that one question of the scholarly, but there there was pushback. I would say um, even um, you know among the people we solicited pieces from because um as you said one of the great things about the video essay is that it does transcend all of these boundaries and that's why you know as as you were talking about with the the people who um show up to the Middlebury thing you know they're sort of self-selected to be those kind of people who are like oh this is you know um a way of sort of breaking down what we think of as academia and, and expanding um so i think that the that there was some resistance to define um, in the in the um, interest of keeping it open, you know, and, and sort of keeping that that sort of um, keeping the possibilities open.
1: Trying to get at what constitutes videographic scholarship is not entirely about. I mean, we we want to distinguish videographic scholarship from from. Popular video essays, but it's not in order to separate them as practices. Um, and in fact, part of we we say this in the introduction. But despite people wanting to expand our understanding of of scholarship through the via the video essay, often these kind of binary distinctions are made between like the poetic and the explanatory, um, or or the creative and the scholarly or the subjective, objective, um, I'm going down our list, (laughs) feelings, affect versus ideas, arguments, um, process versus outcome. And part of our goal was in fact in discussing what constitutes videographic scholarship to sort of collapse these distinctions. And I'm not actually ultimately interested in distinguishing the two. And in fact, increasingly, I'm I'm writing about how popular video essays and scholarly video essays are coextensive with one another. And my contribution to this issue, that's what I'm doing. I'm saying, you know, I'm going to talk about the scholarly video essay by by, through the supercut, by, by exploring its relationship with the supercut. And what I'm really interested in is what can audiovisual methods bring to scholarship and what can scholarship bring to audiovisual criticism? And one of the things, for example, I think scholarly methods can bring to audiovisual criticism is the question, you know, when you're doing a scholarly work, you have to ask the question, so what? what are the stakes ideological or otherwise of a particular media or film analysis beyond one's own cinephilic interest you know if you're just you know so in in my essay i'm i think there are there are supercuts that scholars make and there're supercuts that fans make and and they're not so very different. But in order to in order to spin that supercut as scholarship, one must ultimately ask, what's the significance? You know, and and for me, it's that that question pushes the analysis beyond the frame, even potentially, to contend with the world outside the frame. And and that's a wonderful thing that scholarship can do. And it grounds the video waste the video essay back into worldly matters rather than just someone, you know, I I love this film and I want to deconstruct it.
0: I've co-edited the Sight and Sound list of the best video essays before. And that's not, you know, that's not a a scholarly endeavor, right? And it's not the best of the scholarly video essays. But but I, I find it similar to what you're talking about here in a way, because sometimes I wonder, there's this sense that in a way, everything's a video essay, as long as someone says it's a video essay. And depending on the day you talk to me about that, I'll either think that's like the most beautiful, best thing about it or the most frustrating thing about it. And I'm increasingly leaning towards the second because I wonder as we as we make the case for it as a form of criticism or scholarship or whatever debate, I wonder whether we get in our own way by how sometimes resistant we are to define things and to categorize things and, and to do what you're saying. And do, do, you, do you feel that way? I'm not asking in the general sense because we'll keep it focused on the scholarly, but do you think that the longer we don't address these questions, the harder it will be to make the case for it in the academy?
2: Well, I, I mean, I, I think we tend to think the case has been made, I think. Don't we think that, Allison? <laughs> the case has been made in, in the sense that it's legitimate. And I think that, that there is, you know, I, I would never think I had to define what is a video essay in general, a video essay, you know, so, so our, our issue was is focusing on what is the scholarly video essay, which was seeming, seemed more manageable and seems like a term, you know, that, that people use as if we know what it is. Um, and maybe the video essay is the same, but to me, the video essay just on its own is much more nebulous and inclusive and, you know, meant to encompass many different things and bridge many boundaries in a way that is is okay to me you know, that it doesn't bother me that there's not really a definition of the video essay.
0: Is it your sense that those people, like the people who are skeptical of this form, they've already, we've already reached a point that we're beyond them. Like they've already been proven wrong and that it's trending the right way. So that's the sense I'm getting from that answer. I'm I'm just trying to parse this out a little bit. So you, you think it's already been established. It's just now that it's established, let's work through what that means.
1: So people, people are getting tenure and promotion. I mean, I was tenured with, among other things, um, a number of video essays that I had made. But no, I, I actually think we still need to explain to people um, who, who who don't exactly understand what it is and why it's scholarly. I, I do think that there are, are film media scholars who are scratching their heads at this Endeavor, but I do think in terms of the academy, it it seems as though it's it's. I, I'm seeing you know in 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 all of the areas that you might you might gauge such things. You know, um, I, I'm seeing posts for jobs in which in which scholar practitioners um, are being invited to apply, and p- people who are engaging more expanded understandings of what scholarship can be. I, I do think that it's been legitimated within the, within the academy, in air quotes,
2: and I, I in think general. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: it's sort of difficult to distinguish between the the debate about legitimacy and the debate about the scholarly. You know, and and, and that's kind of what we're what we're trying to do. So the so. It seems, I think we agree that, that the legitimate is a larger category, <laughs> that this this practice of audiovisual criticism is, I think, widely seen as legitimate. Whether that's a scholarly, whether that's widely seen as scholarly, I think is, is a different question, right? And, that, and that's what the issue was trying, trying to get at.
0: This difference between it's legitimate for scholars to do versus it's place as scholarship as scholarly
2: right and i think that that, that's you know why is that a legitimate question or why is that an interesting question is you know is worth parsing out a little bit in in you know as allison mentioned getting tenure you know so there 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 are some i mean to me I, i guess there are two two real places where where it becomes um Something that you need to define and, and one is in tenure and promotion and the other is in teaching. And, you know, in teaching this, if you're teaching the scholarly video essay, if you're teaching within a scholarly film department, you know, you're um you're you have certain goals. You know, there's a reason that it's that it's um. Students are getting a, a master's degree or a PhD in a scholarly program, as opposed to an MFA in a in a you know creative program. And so we we love the idea of merging the two. You know, we love the idea of adapting techniques of filmmaking for our our purposes. But I think that that sometimes we forget that it's our purposes. What are our purposes? You know, so that's what we were asking people to think about, um, and that's why many of them talk about. Teaching, you know, like Liz Green's essay, you know, does a really good job of saying, you know, here, here, um, here are the goals that my students have to accomplish in this film studies class. You know, I've tried to figure out how can we do that audiovisually.
0: Right. And I will say just as someone who thinks he might want to become a scholar and, and do that, like that's that the uh, that's another dimension of it is when you've, I've talked with Sydney Wild Harris, who I know is your student and a lot of other young video essayists who are interested in this. And we're kind of like, all right, should this be what our PhD application proposal is? Like, should this be what we do? Or is this just going to be like a side hustle for a little while as we like do our normal thing towards the finish line? So I think that that's, I'll, my perspective as someone who's trying to figure out what, you know, think multiple years ahead, this issue was so helpful. in that way. And I thought it was, we referred to Drew and Kevin's piece, but it was funny to just hear Drew. It, it seemed like in that he was recounting, like being kind of uh, thinking about how the videographic scholarship would be perceived. And then he interviews his dean or someone for the piece and like, yeah, we never really thought about it. Like, you know, it was, it was so really cool. like, you know, so like, it's like really, it, it's really funny how much, you know, it was interesting to get that outside perspective.
2: Yeah. You never know.
0: Yeah. But my question is, what has been some of the response to the issue that you've gotten so far um it could be positive negative from people who do this work already or people who are not very familiar with it um any notable any notable things and i guess if not what is the i guess what is the hope for it now that it's out in the world we've
1: discussed that we've discussed this i don't i don't think that there hasn't there's been a little bit of response you know great job (laughs) Thanks, (laughs) but but nothing notable. Do you know anything,
2: Tracy? No, I don't know how one finds this out, except um, social media. You know, I I have seen you know, you take those little Facebook posts, you know, people saying, oh, this is great. I'm going to put it on my syllabus immediately. Exactly. And I feel like yeah. success, you know, we, we can <laughs> retire now. Um, so yeah, if, if we're, if we can count that, then I, I think that's, that's what I've seen. The other thing that, I, that I've seen recently, but this is one of the contributors, so I don't know if that counts, but Ian Garwood have, has created some interesting teaching videos um, that he's circulated. You might have seen um, that he sort of put some of the cinephiles pieces in dialogue with one another. Another. So that was really cool to see how, you know, um, how it's yeah, it's indeed on his syllabus, and you know, um, sort of helping his students work through um, their own creations this this semester.
1: That would be my hope for the issue. I mean, what we say in the introduction is that we hope it's going to be the beginning of an ongoing conversation, and the hope is that people will incorporate it into their syllabi. Um, other people will write essays that respond to some of the essays in the issue, and and that it has an ongoing life as part of this larger conversation. And 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 one of the things that I think we both feel really proud of is that there are many different entry points. And what I love about this issue is that not everybody agrees with one another, and there are many different viewpoints, and people are taking on the question from uh, from a variety of different standpoints. You know. Um, that include not just you know how do you use videographic criticism to get tenure and promotion and how do you teach videographic criticism but what is the relationship between audiovisual criticism and the digital humanities what's its relationship with fan cultures what are various approaches to it both formal and conceptual there there are a lot of starting points
0: one thing i as i was rereading um, certain aspects of the issue in preparation for talking with the two of you, was um, in reading uh, uh, Chiara's uh, essay. And in it, she talks about how in doing her dissertation on videographic criticism and just writing about it and thinking a lot, this fear that sometimes it would become dated as she was working on it, which I think is incredibly interesting for this type of work because video essays evolved to whatever the technology that we're currently working with is now. Like we're seeing things with VR and who knows what it will be 10, 20 years from now. I'm wondering if that's something you thought about as you were working with folks to make pieces? Like how, how how do you balance that between thinking in a more like theoretical way that could be applied going forward versus just responding to the discourse in the moment?
2: Not really. I mean, I I think it is a moment, you know, I look back at other cinephiles issues. I'm like, oh, that was a moment, you know, so, so they all, <laughs> they all, I, I don't think it bothers me um, to think that, you know, everything has its its moment and then it will change. I mean, then it becomes useful and interesting kind of as a, as a document of that, you know, of that process of the growth of this thing.
1: I think about that when I make video essays, but I think in terms of the conversation, kind of as we were saying, I, I feel as though the conversation has been revolving around the same topics for for the five years that I've been making video essays. So there wasn't a sense that the conversation, we're, we're trying to change the conversation right now. In some ways, I had the opposite experience because uh, I had I wrote an essay for a, a a collection. And I also wrote about, in a similar vein, I wrote about the relationship between popular video essays and essay films. And I wrote it, I think it's four years ago. It still hasn't come out. And this issue, even though it was a protracted process, it was so amazing just to to write something and have it out a month later. That was great. Yeah, (laughs)
2: that's definitely the great thing about online publication. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. And I, I totally understand what you're saying in a way that was like one of the goals of this podcast, right? Was to be like, there's an awesome group of people out there who are asking themselves a bunch of questions and we're just trying to figure this out. There should be a some type form of documentation of that. But now that I've been doing this for two years, someone told me that they assigned to their students, like an episode, one of the early episodes. And I was like, Oh God, I was cringing just thinking about how horrible I must be in that and whatever. But to pivot a little bit here, to go back to uh, how this has been received, the once upon a screen video essays that are, part of this, which were made in the lead up to the issue and kind of have a final home there. So it's not, they weren't, a lot of them, I don't think, I think a good number of them weren't released as the issue came out, but there's a wonderful introduction by Evelyn and Ariel and a great response from Chris Keithley. It seems to me that those videos and Evelyn and Ariel say this in their introduction really push the boundaries of what we might think of as... Academic videographic criticism, or perhaps I should say, like the conventional boundaries, or what we might think of as the standard kind of approach to scholarly videographic criticism. So, could you just walk me through the decision to include those in the issue, and how they, in your in your view, contribute to our understanding of the scholarly video essay?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that they're they're there. Um... For exactly those reasons, for sort of raising the question of, of what are the boundaries, um, and I think you know Christian Keithley's wonderful response to them is is so great at at sort of piecing together um, their significance, and you know one of his insights is that on their own, none of them are scholarly; they're not individually scholarly, but together. Um, and then with this sort of sort of critical perspective that he he is lending and that um, Evelyn and Ariel are, are lending as well it becomes scholarly you know so so I think it was interesting for sort of demonstrating those boundaries and helping us explore you know what some of the, some of the distinctions are the other thing I think that was interesting about the video essays was the way they all invoked the personal so that was one of the the binaries in our the, the personal and the um, you know the subjective and the uh, distance critical that, that we're trying to sort of parse out and, and figure out, you know, how video essays can sort of break down some of those binaries and yet still engage in scholarship. One of the insights I think that I get from, from Christian Keithley's response when he says, you know, that they're not individually, they're not scholarly, but together in thinking about them, they're scholarly, you know, that, that video essays, they can be art pieces, you know, and, and that's what we're used to analyzing our art pieces and and films, you know, so so we're kind of excited, exhilarated by this idea that that criticism can be filmmaking and can be art itself, can have this affective effective um response, but that doesn't mean it's scholarly, right? So so I think that you can make video essays that then can become like a film that we would analyze, you know, like like um Even, even, even as they can themselves engage in criticism, like uh, Kevin Lee's essay video, you know that was so so memorable. Um, It's it's like a film. I think it's a film, right? I would say it's a it's a short film that um, addresses issues, you know, pertinent to film studies. It might be something I could teach in a in a film theory course, you know, and we would talk about ideology and we would could frame it in a theoretical framework, you know, but it. But that doesn't mean that it itself is scholarly right it, it it can become useful for the scholarly it can become a part of the scholarly but it itself doesn't have to be labeled as scholarly
0: you know recently i had douglas Pye on the podcast and it was interesting to get his perspective on videographic criticism and in it we were talking about these questions of interpretation and do that and there is something that's going on there in videographic criticism and that christian keithley does right he is interpreting those videos um and so that to me was it was great to hear Doug articulate it in those words and to kind of see that in action in in the issue. I'm wondering if you could share with the listeners and and not in, you know, picking favorites or anything, but was there one piece in particular in this issue that most impacted you in any way, whether you just enjoyed reading it or it really changed the way that you thought or that really, like, surprised you? Um, yeah, Alison, I can see you nodding right away. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So... I would say the piece, I don't know which word to use, I, I, I'm i going to use the word tickle, the piece that tickled me, <laughs> that I just gave me a lot of pleasure, was Ian Garwood's writing about the scholarly video essay, Lessons from In Transition's Creator Statement. So. Ian went through 104 creator statements from In Transition, which I'm sure everybody knows is the first peer-reviewed journal of videographic criticism, and he went searching for patterns in how the video essayists featured in the journal frame and justify their work in scholarly terms. And he culled these patterns and organized them as one might a video supercut. So not only did I find this approach super clever, but it's also incredibly informative. Uh, It provides a kind of at-a-glance schematic that we can think about and discuss in terms of what's there and what's missing, and also many of the patterns that he discovers are also evident throughout the cinephiles issue we were editing. So he was—he really hit on by using that process. He hit on some core themes. I don't know if it would be helpful for people for me to um, talk about some of the things he discovered. Sure. Yeah. If we have time for that. Okay. So yeah. Please. Uh, so he comes up with six ways in which scholarly value of videographic criticism is cert- asserted. The first is that video essays offer clarity of illustration; that is, they they back up what's being argued with audiovisual evidence. Number two is that they specifically, for video essays, that specifically analyze formal attributes of moving images and sound where they're talking about, you know, like cinematography or something in sound design, that they allow medium specific qualities to be appreciated more vividly than written criticism would allow. Um, third, the scholarly value of video essays is enhanced by their association with popular Internet culture So in these cases, I'll say the playfulness of the video's address is highlighted as a positive quality that connects academic research to a wider world without undermining its scholarly value. Number four, which we've, we've mentioned, the effective registers in which the video essay is able to impart meaning. So the perception that video graphic criticism feels its way through arguments. and this is Bor now Chloe Gallabert Lanay in the issue what scholarly video essays feel like, you know, so she's she's touching on similar themes. Number five, meaning making and videographic criticism is participatory, uh, particularly in work that's less explanatory or didactic. So it requires more interpretive work from the viewer listener. And six, interpretation is not foreclosed through videographic criticism. So ambiguity of argumentation, what In Transition refers to as knowledge effects as opposed to knowledge production is turned into a positive scholarly value. So this is the way, you know, you, you aggregate what many people who've contributed to in transition are saying about their work, how they're justifying it. And, and this is what shakes out, um, which I find fascinating, but, but, but the idea of doing this was, was just, it, it, it really, I think helped cap off, cap off the issue in a great way.
0: It did, yeah. I, I I really enjoyed his his thoroughness, um, and and the way he he thought about it and structured it. Really changed how I thought, and I and really I think changed the way that I thought about the the supplemental aspect of. Uh, the written statement and the various ways that it can be used, because I think I, I've heard it described and read it be described almost as that's where it becomes scholarship. But as he breaks down, there's there's a bunch of different ways it, in, in which it can be used. Like I've heard some people say like, oh, if you're publishing a written statement beside it, like that's taking away the scholarly value of just the video itself. But I think he makes clear that it's so much more nuanced than that.
1: Yeah. And he, he also says, you know, I, these are, these are the, the, the six the six, let's say, six modes of justification that he extracts, but in fact, he says the vast majority of the creator statements um, focus on on attributes of the video essay that, that in fact aren't asked for by in transition, such as summarizing what's in the video essay or reflecting on the choices that were made in the production process. Um, and so the creator statements are used in a variety of different ways, and some are supplemental, some are attempting to because in transitions parameters are so wide, they're attempting to push the video essay in a more scholarly direction, you know, sometimes offering theoretical context in a video essay where there isn't, let's say, no
2: voiceover.
0: Tracy, I'm wondering if you have any if there was one that stuck out to you.
2: Yeah, I would just say just very quickly, two two I would like to mention <clears throat> that um, are the ones that I find I keep thinking about. So so they raised some issues for me in in interesting. Um, questions that I I feel like is sort of the beginning of an inquiry for me, <clears throat> and that was Susan Harewood and Lauren Berliner, whose whose pieces were um, sort of different than most. They were they they really kind of went to the heart of the question, um, not only about the scholarly video essay, but about scholarship and what are we doing anyway? What is this that we're doing? Which I think was was you know part of what we were trying to get at in the issue. You know, really talking about these questions of who who are we and what are we doing here and what does it matter, <laughs> right? And and that. Um, you know, all really came to a head through the year that we were working on this issue with the Black Lives Matter movement and the murder of George Floyd. I know that a lot of a lot of people who were writing <clears throat> wrestled with that in various ways. You know, there were various drafts of people's work that, that you know, at, at certain moments were sort of questioning that, like, why does any of this matter anyway? And so I like the way that Susan and Lauren kind of took took straight to the heart of that question and thinking about, um, you know, how does this, as, as, um, Allison said earlier, how does what we're doing relate to the world outside? You know, how does it, how does it matter? So I thought, you know, Susan's, um, was about cinephilia and, and there were sort of similar themes. Lauren's also about the archive and how, um, you know, how we should think critically about these, um, Metaphors that we use, you know, the metaphor of discovery in the archive, <clears throat> and also the, um, you know, the replication of of um, an archive that's essentially a racist archive, and um, that was that was something that I thought um, was really provocative in a, in a sort of wonderful way that I hope to include in classes later once I, I think about assignments to kind of build around that.
1: I would agree that Susan and Lauren's discussions of, of, you know, colonialist metaphors, um, around the archive, uh, were the essays that I learned the most from, you know, that, that really surprised me and, and took my thinking in a different direction.
0: Absolutely. And I know that so many people will be referring to it and rereading it and going back to it again and again for, for many years to come. So thank you both for your work and for, for putting this together and for joining the video essay podcast today. I really appreciate it.
3: And uh, welcome to this conversation with Will DeGravio. Thanks a lot, Will, for being here and you know sharing your knowledge with us and you know having this you know conversation about um, what what, are, what new practitioners are up to in videographic criticism or call it the audiovisual essay. Um, and generally, it'll mostly be about you know our personal work, but also kind of getting to this person, kind of um, looking at our personal work, situating it within what is happening in the field in general. And most importantly, we we are also really interested and excited about talking about the future of videographic criticism and us as future um, academics where we will have more authority to create these type of works and stuff like that. um, Where do we see it going? Where do we wanna take it, et cetera? Um, And just to... Yeah, briefly introduce ourselves. Um, um, I just want to first introduce you. Um, so Will is a writer, video essayist and podcaster. Um, he currently host, hosts the video essay podcast and writes the weekly newsletter, Notes on Videographic Criticism. I'll link all that below. Um, in 2020, he co-curated with Kevin Bealy and Sydney Wild Harris, the Black Lives Matter video essay play, uh, playlist, which was very timely and very much appreciated. Um, and it was also named the best video essay project of the year by the editors of Sight and Sound. And his current projects include Rio Bravo Diary, a Twitter-based videographic study in which he's watching Rio Bravo over the course of one year. And um, I, every day you're essentially tweeting about a specific scene you watch. Um, and he's also an associate editor of ScreenWorks, a, con- a con- contributor of film school rejects and holds an MPhil from the Center for Film and Screen Studies at the University of Cambridge. And his website's also below. So um, yeah, just check out his work. He does a lot of interesting stuff. and. As I said, very gladful to have very gladful to have you here on um, my platform, the audiovisual essayist, um, to actually talk about the audiovisual essay, videographic criticism, etc. And just to briefly introduce myself as well, uh, I'm Sean byramian I'm not. My name's not audiovisual essayist, obviously. And um, I make audiovisual essays about, you know, film, media, culture, music, etc. And I am a teaching assistant at the University of Groningen, particularly in videographic criticism. Um, and currently, I'm working on a project about Rammstein, um, where it'll essentially be a, an audiovisual kind of a series of audiovisual essays about Rammstein and their various videos, et cetera. Um, so, we're gonna discuss all of this more in depth. Um, but yeah, so Will, do you have um, any introductory notes or um, anything like that?
0: Well, first, thank you so much for for having me here and inviting me and for putting this all together. Um, You get 100% of the credit for us sitting down here today. So I I really, really appreciate it. One thing I will say is on the Video Essay Podcast, the vast majority of people who I interview are established videographic critics and scholars and filmmakers. Um, And so with the exception, I think perhaps the one exception maybe being uh Sydney Wilde Harris, who you mentioned, who is my friend, uh, who is also kind of beginning to enter academia and is applying to PhD programs and interested in doing that, just like you and I. And so my my friendship with her in addition to, to collaborating with her has been so rewarding for me. So it's so nice to connect with you uh to to discuss what the young or new, I suppose, practitioner is thinking as we go into this field. Because I think in academia, specifically, a lot of the people that I talk to and who are leaders in the field, they kind of made their name in academia doing other work, so to speak, and then have turned to videographic criticism. That's not true for everyone, um, but for, for many people it is. And so as, as budding scholars, I think it's really interesting to kind of talk about what's in our head right now. And hopefully we will both have <laughs> reached all of our career goals 10 20 years from now and we can look back on this conversation and think wow that was super embarrassing what we thought we were gonna do then or well you know we were actually right about a couple things or <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so who knows what will happen but either way it's I- I'm super happy
3: to be here uh, thank you and I'm an admirer of your work so thanks a lot will um Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm also a big admirer of your work, and I really appreciate the fact that you're, you know, trying to break the boundaries of, you know, the forum, but also trying to bring it into the general public, for example, through your podcast, um, and also through Twitter, for example. Um, and we'll also, you know, get into that a bit later as well. Um, but yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like 20 years from now, we look back into this, and what are we going to make out of it? You know, will you know? Time will tell eventually. Um, and, and uh, right now, you know, like the point of this conversation isn't necessarily to kind of, um, kind of create some sort of taxonomical overview of what the audiovisual essay is or ne- to necessarily ground what videographic criticism is. That has been all said and mentioned. Um, of course, we will touch upon some explanatory aspects, but we generally aim to raise... Potential questions rather than give straightforward answers. Um, So we will essentially talk about, you know, more about our personal experiences as young and new practitioners with regards to the many facets of the audiovisual essay. And we don't kind of want to already iterate, you know, what other people have said about about the field, but we kind of want to uh, meditate on present and future, the present and future from our perspective. So. It'll be more conversational, um, where we pose questions to each other in order to think about the form, its merits, and its general implications to academic and various other parties within our societal sphere. And we also just generally hope that the, this conversation would help other new practitioners or people who are kind of wanting to get into the field, wanting, wanting to create audiovisual essays. Um, and so we will essentially start from the personal, more um, how we got into it, we will try to get into those aspects. Um, and then we will eventually kind of move on to kind of more talking about how we create audiovisual essays, um, what kind of um, sacrifices go into it in terms of um, artistic sacrifices, for example, and. Stuff like that, and then eventually we'll go on to talking about the future, where we see it going. Um, and and with that being said, um, it'll be the conversation will be divided into three parts, um, and subsequently uploaded on my channel, and um, uh, to some extent also on Will's podcast as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so. Um, while we're talking about our kind of personal um, history with the with the videographic criticism and the audiovisual essay, we also wanna we we're gonna attempt to interlace that with some um, kind of general generally speaking, like what the audiovisual essay is, the different modes that have kind of arised in the past uh, ten to fifteen years, um, and then move on to discuss you know our style, our positioning, our practice, you know how has that developed within the current space. Um, And then, as I said, we want to talk about the future because that's what we're really excited about um, and what it means for academia, film studies and the general public. Um, And uh, yeah, so that being said, um, I want to ask you the question, Will, you know, where how did you get into the form? Um, You know, what was so exciting about it that made you, you know, actually consider this to be a potential um, career path or something you would want to practice to, you know, make the podcast, et cetera. So how did you get into it? Thank, thank you for that introduction and for that question.
0: Yeah. So it was as organic as it gets. This is a story that I, I, I've told before. So I hope so. for some people, this might be a repeat, but I was essentially, I went to um, receive my undergraduate, my BA at uh, Middlebury College in Middlebury, Vermont in the United States. Um and I was working as a journalist, really involved with the school newspaper. Like journalism was my thing. That's what I decided that I wanted to do. Um, and so at Middlebury, it's it's a liberal arts school. So unlike perhaps many universities in Europe, um, they really you don't have to go in knowing what you're going to major. And you might go in thinking that you're going to be a dance major and end up being a neuroscience major. You know, there's there's really no restrictions. And, and that's like that's the edu- kind of education that I wanted. And I really believe in, um, by, by the end of your sophomore year, you have to declare a major. You could change it at some point, but you basically have to declare a major because within your major, you have to take a certain number of courses there, whatever. And so I was taking political science courses. I was taking English courses and I, Eventually stumbled into the intro film studies course and really enjoyed it. And seeing kind of the course offerings, the major was called film and media culture. And I sort of thought to myself, oh, okay, this is the closest that Middlebury College has to journalism as a major. It turned out it was not that close to journalism at all, but you know, being a stupid sophomore, that's what I thought. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, this'll be my major. And then maybe I'll combine it. Cause you can do a lot of joint majors with English and political science, or I'll get minors in those two. I, I ended up getting minors in English and political science, but that was just out of, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just took enough classes to do it. It wasn't like a really calculated thing. And so one summer I was working as an intern at the local newspaper, which is called the Addison County Independent, and it covers all of the county that the college is in in Vermont. Or I should fast forward. So at the end of my sophomore year, I'm scrambling. I decided to declare a major. And I asked Jason Mattel to be my advisor. And Jason Mattel is obviously a very well-known figure to everyone in the video essay world. I did not know that at the time. Uh, The reason was I had been thinking I would write a thesis about perhaps like conservative television, Fox News. I was very interested in that as a topic. And he was the perfect person to do that with. And so as I'm meeting with him, asking him to be my advisor, I don't think I'd ever even met him before I asked him to be my advisor. I just kind of walked into his office with like a piece of paper. I was like, here you go. And I said, you know, I'm working at the local newspaper um, this summer. And if you have any tips, because I knew he is very plugged into the community. His wife ended up being elected a state Senator. So they're, they're very involved. And I said, you know uh, if you hear anything, let me know. Fast forward to June, I get an email from Jason and he says, Hey, you know, next week we're going to have something called the scholarship and sound and image workshop at Middlebury college. Um, would you, where, you know, this is funded by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Um, and we're having scholars from all across North America and Europe coming in and learning about videographic criticism. I did not yet know what that was. Would you like to come? And I said, sure, for basically two reasons. One, you need stories in the news and newspaper business. And two, the college had great air conditioning and it was so hot in Vermont that summer. And I was like, all right, I'll go up and cover this. And you know, it also seemed cool. And so I went up and covered the workshop, which is one of the most important initiatives in the video essay landscape right now and just really fell in love with it and that fall decided to enroll in jason's videographic film studies course Um, and that was a very important semester for me because now being a new film major i had to start taking a ton of film classes and so i took film history which is an introductory course the videographic essay course. And I took a course dedicated specifically to Alfred Hitchcock, which if you know my video essay work, I am Hitchcock obsessed like so many other people. And so it was this beautiful blending of, like, I just became so passionate about so many things at once and started to slowly realize, you know, wait, maybe I'm actually interested in the discipline of film studies. And, you know, you you read my bio, so I don't need to go over it now, but that was kind of the point where I started getting more and more interested. And for me, and I'll leave it here. What got me so excited about videographic criticism was I was encountering, you know, for example, that that was the first semester. That semester was the first time I had watched Citizen Kane, right? Like I was not a cinephile growing up. I did not watch a lot of movies, and so for me, I was encountering Hitchcock and all these canonical films in the film history course. Video essay allowed you to say something. New or something interesting. It allows you to contribute to a discourse. Like you know, I could not write an undergraduate paper about Citizen Kane that was new. You know, you go to the library and you see there are dozens of shelves of books just on Hitchcock and Wells alone. You know, and so for video essay, it allowed you to say something new, but it also allowed you to put your work online and allow it to be seen. And so I can talk a little bit about the video essays that I made in that course and how that kind of shaped my direction, but um, I'll, I'll I'll leave it there. Um, that's kind of my brief intro, but. I'd be curious. How did you first
3: encounter the form? Thanks, Will. Yeah, it was um, it was great hearing you about um, you know how you kind of. Um you know, you kind of started off in a complete, somewhat different direction, and then out of out of nowhere, it seems like you know you just have this uh, revelation that the video, you know, VC was just right in front of your eyes, and um, you just got into it. Um, but yeah, to kind of talk about how I got into it as well, you know, very very similar in terms of um, you know through the academic world, um, I was uh, yeah doing my bachelor's at the University of Groningen in um, Arts, Culture, and Media, which is also somewhat more general the general BA course, program about, um, particularly about music, theater, and film. And you could obviously choose your specialization. And, um, I always knew that I was going to study film after coming out of high school. Um, and, um, yeah, so I was like, I always used to consume like audiovisual essays on YouTube, for example, I was watching a lot of YouTube, like throughout the years, et cetera. And, um, we, we would also, you know, study film history, film analysis, et cetera. But, um, we would all, we would usually output these, um, you know, our research or our papers through the textual medium. And, you know, at at that time, I didn't really kind of, you know, know that you could actually do, you could make audiovisual essays within an academic context and it didn't, you know, that option wasn't really there until um, the last semester of um, the BA program. Where, um, yeah, Miklos Kiss, um, he was also one of the, you know, strong proponent of videographic criticism. Um, and yeah, so just to kind of um, just to contextualize this a bit. So in the third semester, there's this kind of arts and practice course where um, so all these three kind of comp- um, three artistic uh, medium. So theater, music and film, they give you something more, you know, um, practical, something that had something that you would you know probably do within um, uh, kind of more in the general public. So in music, it would be kind of organizing a festival, a music festival. And um, so and that was the second year where Miklos Kiss actually um, was giving that videographic criticism course, because uh, before that, it was mostly filmmaking. And, um, you know, he thought that it would probably be um, kind of more in line with academic kind of um, curricula to bring in videographic criticism as opposed to strictly the artistic mode of production of filmmaking um so that's how I got introduced to it generally speaking i was I was just really excited to kind of um do that course and it was actually one of my favorite courses and um every time I would you know embark on one of those one of the projects he gave us, I was just generally. Um, you know, enthused with the fact that I I could actually work work on these films, not in a textual way. Um, and the thing is that I also had um, some editing experience, so um, I, I was generally also into filmmaking when I was like fourteen or fifteen, um, and um, I was also editing like these short movies, et cetera. You know, just like you know, high school movies. You know, nothing spectacular. But um, but um, when I saw that, um, you know. VC gave me that opportunity to, you know, critically talk about media objects, specifically film, um, and to actually, you know, manipulate these through artistic methods such as editing or, or you know, other methods as well. Um, then, you know, one plus one became, you know, two and two came together and, yeah, it gave birth to um, just my general excitement towards videographic criticism. So that's how I was kind of introduced to it um and and then I you know started getting into um uh kind of reading more about it um following the journals like in transition et cetera. So um yeah that's uh just to keep it there just a brief uh, introduction.
0: What what year in university did you take the course? That was uh, the third third
3: year. So the last
0: year yeah. um Right. So it was my third year as well. I, in the U S we do a fourth year um, or I know some schools in Europe do four, but all in the U S do four typically. I, I, as I'm talking to you now, I'm thinking how lucky I was to take that in my third year, because I don't, I don't know how, if you feel this way, but I almost think I wasn't, I wouldn't have, if I had taken it in my first two years, I don't think I would have had the, a, the rhetorical skills, but I also don't think I would have appreciated how liberating a form it can be, right? Like uh, the Middlebury mantra is um, like for for the, for the workshop. And I I got to be the TA for the workshop in 2019. um, So I'm a, I'm a firm believer in this method. And that's kind of what informs my practice, which I know we'll get to is, you know, make first think later is kind of the mantra, right? Like Mattel and Christian Keithley teach okay, go into Adobe Premiere or whatever editing platform you use first and start thinking and playing around within the platform. You know, don't sit in the dining hall, sit under a tree and just think, 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 and then try and translate those thoughts into an audiovisual essay. And so I think for me, having been just writing papers and as we all know, you're sometimes, you know, you have to, Make first, think later. When you're scrambling to write a paper at the final minute, you know, like you're just trying to throw in stuff on the page. But for here, that's encouraged, and that and that breeds creativity in the form. So, I'm wondering, was that the was there a creative kind of mantra to what you were doing? Like, like what, what was that approach?
3: Yeah, I think um, I think it was um, like pretty essentially like pretty, um, opposite to, um, what we what you guys were doing at Middlebury. Um, I mean, I just, I just, first of all, I just want to say that, um, I think I appreciate that approach in general. Like, I think it's a more of a pedagogical, more constructive approach where, you know, you just, um, uh, I mean, just to like give, just to provide some sort of anecdote, like where you give some, I don't know, five-year-old kids, like, um. Um, some like I don't know things they could play with or things they could you know puzzle and they just do it right. Um, so they just do it and then see what comes out of it. But um, yeah, at, at the University of um, Groningen and um, yeah, Miklos Kiss is also um, yeah he's more of a he's more kind of um, stuck to the kind of academic approach of creating on creating an audiovisual essay. So. It's, it's not more of a, it's not more of a method as opposed to, you know, what they were kind of doing at Middlebury and, um, what, what your background is, but it was more of a, you know, mode of communication or mode of academic output. Um, but then again, in that course, um, he still gave us the kind of tools to, um, or he gave, he gave us that kind of. Option to actually, you know, experiment with that method as well, because there was also one project where we had to um, be more playful, um, be more experiment- experimentative with it, and um, and he also highlights that in his recent um, cinephiles, the recent he has a yeah he, he just uh, published a recent um, um, article in the recent uh, cinephiles issue, um, and uh, he talks about that there as well. So I'll link that down below as well if anyone's interested in reading it. Um, and yeah, and you know, that kind of brings us to um, these two somewhat, you know, you were you were on the opposing side of the poll and I was on the other side to some extent. Um, and yet um, we're here talking about videographic criticism. Um, and is it kind of the same process where you go to today where you just kind of um, do and then figure out what the added value of this work is?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because On one hand, the the video essay that I that has been perhaps the most well received that got a shout out in the 2019 sight and sound survey is my video essay, The Barber Approves, which is a a moment in John Ford's My Darling Clementine. That is an adaptation of a paper that I wrote um, for Christian Keekley's film theory course. Um, And I think adapting a written work for a video essay is very I mean, I don't want to say that it's not part of what I was taught originally in videographic criticism, but I think it's it it wouldn't be the go-to method. And and as I was making it, I had to really check myself and think, how am I doing things videographically that um how am I doing things in the video essay that I'm not doing in the paper beyond just using sounds and images? And so I really, as I was making the essay, I was really trying to rediscover things in the film, which, which I do. Um, You know, one example being that in my darling Clementine, there's an East West divide between all of these characters. Some characters are characters of the frontier, Doc Holliday, Clementine are are from the East and they come in. Okay. So as I was looking through the video essay, I was thinking, okay, how can I try and Find formal elements that enhance that argument, and there was a lot of, there were a few examples of that where, if you were to look at the framing, Ford, for example, will have like a beam of wood, and Wyatt Earp will be on the west side, and Clementine will be on the east. Now, am I saying that John Ford did that? Like, (laughs) am I trying to ascribe some type of you know authorial intent that's there? Not really, but I just think it's interesting, so I threw it in and I tried to emphasize that in the video essay. I don't mention that at all. in uh, the written essay. But to answer your question, I think now my process is very much, I get a nugget of an idea for something, whether it's, I'm constantly looking for when I'm reading like a sentence fragment or a, a, a quote or a phrase or a moment in a film or a line in a film, something that just catches my attention. And then I say, okay, how could I start with this small thing and then kind of back up and construct a video essay out of it. You know, as I'm watching *Dilem for Murder*, I love when they put the the wig on the judge or the the black uh, the, whatever it's called. They, yeah. And in that scene with Grace Kelly, and I'm like, okay, how can I make a video essay about that? Or um, a lot of my work is is dealing with these kinds of tiny little objects, and that's also a lot of the work that. I think is encouraged and we watch in the Middlebury approach. So it 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 makes sense that yeah. that's how I approach it. I, I I try not to start from a big macro topic and go down, but instead try and think of one little thing that I think is really cool that could form the basis of the USA and then feel my way out from there in the process of working on it. Yeah. And
3: yeah, Um, just to ask you, like, so you kind of have these observations, right? When you're watching something or reading something, but at the end of the day, like after that, what is the next step? Because like, do you get some sort of, do you go to the books? Do you read about, I don't know, the film, do you read about some sort of theoretical framework you want to integrate in there? Or is it just, um, you know, what about this, where does this observation go?
0: Right. So I'll give you an example, a video I made recently, it's called Raging Psycho. Yeah. Very simple video. And it's essentially um, it, it blends together the shower scene in Psycho and the fa- the most famous fight scene in Raging Bull. That that video essay begins with a clip of Martin Scorsese saying the shower scene provided a template for the Raging Bull fight scene. So he so he's making that connection. So I'm not making an original yeah. argument by any by any stretch of the imagination. But I say to myself, okay, that's really interesting to me how can I interrogate something that I know is true videographically, right? Because that's basically a one sentence thing, right? The, the, what, what he's just said is, is, it true? It's a fact. It doesn't need to be proven. It doesn't need to be argued. Scorsese said it and you can clearly see it. Yeah. And so for me, my, my first, in, now I started working on that in I first got I first heard Scorsese say that and started thinking about it in July of 2019. I released this video essay last month, so <laughs> in January 2021. So That should give you a sense of how hard I how hard I work, or not not how hard I work, how slow I work. Right. <laughs> um, I don't work that hard, but um, for me. So the question is, how can I use the form of Premiere to showcase the relationship between these two objects? How can I, as a video editor, make something that's cool, that will, that will, that's evocative and do something that the written word can't do. And so I I played around with all sorts of different ways of how I could, you know, do I put the, you know, putting the two scenes side by side, you could do that, but I actually think that's kind of boring. A lot of people do that. And it's not really that much work. Um, At first I thought about making a grid and showing like shot, 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 And I, I, I was like, eh, I don't really know if I agree with that. Also, the, the fight scene in Raging Bull is a lot longer than the shower scene in Psycho. Or yeah. not a lot longer, but you know, a bit longer. Um, and then I came to the idea, oh, what if I cut them together? right? So I go shot from one, shot from one, shot from one, and kind of blend the image together so that the scene essentially becomes one where there are moments when you can't tell When it's, you know, when Robert De Niro is being punched and when Janet Lee is being murdered, like you can't tell the difference and they they all, it all becomes one image. So that's how I'm thinking videographically. Um, And, but for me, I'm constantly also looking for inspiration. So for there, when I'm thinking, when I'm working with Psycho, my first thought is, okay, I'm going to go read Laura Mulvey on Psycho. Right. Right. And I'm just going to, and I'm just going to kind of, even if I don't take something directly from, her work and from death 24 times a second, like the way that she's thinking about psycho, I take, I take in and internalize it. So as I'm making something, I'm always reading other things Am I borrowing. from? If And if I need to quote them or borrow from them, I will. Uh, but for me, it's more just a process of, of, of feeling through it. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah. I think um, I think it's a great process. Uh, generally speaking, just moving on um, just kind of, you know, trying to figure out what your software could do for you. And I think, you know, think thinking about how you could generally um, use or like manipulate, you know, the visual, the audiovisual medium in the editing software for argumentative ends. Um, I th- That's also one of my, you know, that's what excites me the most. And that's what I also like to think about. Um, But yeah, um, the thing is that before we kind of go deeper into um, how we could do that and go deeper into kind of, um, you know, projects, et cetera, or kind of how we create audiovisual essays, um, I also, I kind of want to stay within the, you know, the introductory realm, like where, you know, why did you stick with creating audiovisual essays and why did you continue after um, your university years? Yeah.
0: You know, one thing, you know, I think I like I'm sure so many people had dreams of being Roger Ebert, Pauline kale like a, like a written film critic. Right. Um, there are I, I guess I'll tell you a quick story. So the summer before I was so I, I was doing journalism and I was offered the summer before. The summer after I graduated from Middlebury and before I was going to start at Cambridge, I was offered what was a dream internship for me. I I won't say the name of the newspaper, but it was one of the largest newspapers here in the United States, more kind of a regional paper, but still very well known nationally on their arts and culture and entertainment desk. One day I got a call from the uh, editor of that desk, who was going to be my boss and said, yeah, so everyone at the desk has just essentially been fired. Um, and I went, oh, okay. Um, that's awful. And she's like, you still have an internship and you'll be able to write a ton more, blah, blah, blah. L- like, you know, let me know. So then I hang up and I'm like, all right, well, on one hand, it's cool that I would get to write more. But on the other, like, I feel like the point of internship is that you're supposed to learn from people, right? Like I want, I'm not, I'm not ready to like, to, to do, like, I think I could do some good reporting and criticism and whatever, but like, I had been really looking forward to learning from people there. Um, then the, the, I get the Cambridge a scholarship to go to Cambridge. I'm going there, and so the timing doesn't really work out. Like you know, I want to like you know, you know for the internship and to go to school, and then Jason and Chris ask me to be the teaching assistant for the scholarship and send an image workshop. And so on one hand, it's this idea of print media is dying, and it's really hard to make it as a written film critic. On the other hand, this form seems to be really cutting edge and new. I. and I I was kind of knowing like, okay, I think I want to go into academia. And so I I want to get involved in this more academic videographic practice. But also I kind of knew at that point, okay, before I go back into academia, I'm probably not going to work as a journalist in a traditional sense. Like, I don't really know if that's what I want to do. Um, I don't really want to hide my politics and pretend to be neutral. And also arts journalism in particular is just a crapshoot. And what I liked about the form and this relates to back what I said about raging psycho is you can self publish. Right. And so I want to be producing criticism. I want to be part of a discourse. I want to share my work with people. I want to talk about films with video essay. I can pretty much work them at my own pace. Like no one has a gun to my head and there's no deadlines. There's no editors, which are great. I I've loved the editors. I've worked with them. They don't mean to knock them, but it's different. It's different vibe. It's, you know, Oh, like I'm going to work on, you know, tonight after work, I'm going to have a beer and work on Raging Psycho for a few hours. And it's really relaxing and fun, you know? Uh, So that's what really drew me to the form. In addition to thinking, okay, maybe I want to be an academic, going to this workshop and teaching there would be really cool, meeting all these other academics. I was also thinking in the meantime, you know, I have this urge to produce film criticism on some level, you know, I write for Film School Rejects, I've written pieces, but it's the video essay making that I'm really passionate about. And that, you know, I've written articles for film school rejects that I've got that have been really well received. I've been trashed online before, but most get no reaction. Whereas the video essay, there's this a wonderful community of people out there. If you throw work out there, you'll, you'll get, you'll get reaction all the time, Even you know, and it's, it's, you know, that's what's really fun for me, and that's what's rewarding for, it, and that's what makes it fun. So for me, it was this combination of thinking about my career, having fun, and also being able to kind of control my own destiny and say, okay, I'm gonna, you know, rather than trying to grind out film reviews and interviews and everything and just kind of go in this constant cycle, maybe I'll take a step back a little bit and make a video essay and really think about what I'm doing and try and produce, you know, a couple video essays a year, what have you. Um, so that, that was kind of my thinking
3: there. Yeah, I think um so you you were essentially talking about, you know, how the um the forum and the field was, you know, still in its infancy and, you know, I think you saw an opportunity there where um I'm not going to you know, you you weren't going to go into kind of the more traditional route going going through um writing uh news articles or going into some sort of um newspaper or whatever. Um but you know, what you were you were thinking about what can this you know, form that you studied in university that you took a course about, um, how can it, you know, um, help me and what can I do for it? Right. Um, And that's what I was also thinking. Um, I was like, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't want to really write about, you know, I, I I like writing about film. And at the end of the day, uh, my process is also about, you know, I write the scripts, right. And if you're doing any kind of voiceover or if you're putting um, text on there, you're going to write something to some extent. Um, But then again, who's going to consume that, as a kind of self-publisher, you know, you, you know, at some points, you know, if you're writing about film, you also need to need an affiliate and, um, they're going to put your work out there and, you know, to get to that stage, you know, it's very competitive as you were saying. Um, but now, you know, we have these tools that we could essentially use, um, that were particularly native to like YouTube, Vimeo, et cetera, all, all these other social media platforms. Um, you know, and we could use those tools to essentially propagate our, you know, our knowledge, et cetera. Um, so yeah. And can I,
0: and can I, what, Oh, sorry. Not to cut you off. I just want to add one more thing. I totally, I totally agree with what you're saying. And also I love writing. And that's why I have a newsletter because I do love writing. An important thing for me was, you know, I I wrote film reviews for like the school newspaper at Middlebury and whatnot. I'm not interested, you know, would I love to be a film critic? I'm sure I would. I'm sure it would be, it's a great job. I don't need to knock it. But I'm really not interested in writing about films that I don't like or that I think are bad. That that to me was probably like the biggest reason why I think I probably couldn't be a film critic. Like if I see like a bad movie, like I fell asleep in the theater during Cats. It was so awful. Like I, I, don't, I don't want to write about that. Like I don't want to, and it, it's not, and I honestly, I don't get any like satisfaction out of really talking about how horrible a film. I mean, sometimes, but like, you know, for the most part, Whereas with videographic criticism, I mean, there are video essays about films that people don't like and that that they're critiquing. And of, of course, but I think for the most part, we are attracted to the things that we love and that we want to spend a lot of time with and get closer to the media object and really understand and pick apart and revisit. And that to me was what's so appealing because I find it so much more rewarding and fun to keep getting to know the films that I love instead of just like, all right, well, this shitty movie came out and let's yeah. just go into it. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. Um, but
0: I'm sorry if I cut
3: you off. No, it's I all right. Yeah. Thanks in. for that comment. But then again, you know, I, if you were making audiovisual essays for, um, you know, for some sort of outlet for an affiliate, I mean, it would probably be the same process as writing about film, right? You're going to, you would have to, you know, create content um, that about films that you might not like, but then again, you know, YouTube, all these kind of independent kind of outlets give you the opportunity to you know, do whatever you want with these films in terms of select your films, et cetera.